Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Pony Express, the Post Rider's flagship podcast. As always, I'm your host, Post Rider Editor-in-Chief, Mike Levito, and I'm joined this time by not one, not two, but three co-contributors, the first of which is, is of course, Lars Emerson, the Post Rider's CEO. Hi, Mike. I got it right that time. Yeah. <laughs> Post Rider contributor, Lewis Ryan. Hey, Mike. Great to be here. And Post Rider contributor, Alex Hunter. Hey, everybody. And we're here to talk about the latest installment in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Uh, in, some, in some circles, I would say a polarizing installment of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. That is, of course, Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness. The, uh, I was going to say triumphant return, but for now, let's set off the return of Sam Raimi of the original <laughs> Spider-Man trilogy to superhero films. Sam Raimi, of course, also directed the Evil Dead movies. It was written by Michael Waldron, stars Benedict Cumberbatch as the titular Doctor Strange, Elizabeth Olsen as the Scarlet Witch, Chiudal Ejiofor as Baron Mordo, Benedict Wong as Wong, Xochitl Gomez as America Chavez, Michael Stuhlbarg, I don't know why he's built so high, and Rachel McAdams, <laughs> um, and a few other people who we'll get to along the way. So, yeah, I wanted to start our discussion here by kind of talking about um, Doctor Strange and his role in the MCU kind of writ large, because uh, it really seems like, and I noticed someone make this comment on Twitter, that in the first, like, you know, dozen or so MCU movies, Iron Man was like the through line, right? Like, Iron Man was the character who was used to tie all of these movies together, and now it's Doctor Strange, right? He had his self-titled movie, and then after that there was Avengers Infinity War, which he played a very large role in, Avengers Endgame, and Spider-Man No Way Home, and now we have... Uh, this next installment. So I think I would just say, what are your kind of thoughts going into this movie on Doctor Strange and specifically Benedict Cumberbatch's Doctor Strange? And what were your thoughts coming out of this movie? We'll start with you, Lars. Yeah, so I like you brought up the point that Iron Man was like the through line for the first kind of half of the MCU. And in their, their model, right, it's like it starts out with Iron Man and Tony Stark and then I think it about, like, Captain America, the Winter Soldier, and Civil War, like, uh, Captain America becomes, like, basically the connecting character and kind of, like, the most important main character. And I, th- I think they very deliberately set it up so that Black Panther would be the next one, and obviously that is not going to come to pass due to uh, the star's uh, untimely passing. And so it's interesting that they, they've kind of chosen Doctor Strange to be that next kind of connecting tissue. But I think... So far, it's worked a little better. I think it was kind of clumsy to, like, throw Tony Stark into, like, the Hulk movie and whatnot. And I guess it's just because characters were familiar with him. But, you know, Benedict Cumberbatch, he didn't get a lot of screen time before he's now become this kind of connecting tissue. But, I, I you know, I, I think so far he's been that for, what, this and Spider-Man? <laughs> and, like, it's worked out. What about you, Lewis? Uh, I have nothing to add. You sure? I don't know. I mean, I know, I believe it's a fact that Doctor Strange is Kevin Feige's favorite character, favorite mm. Marvel character. So um, I do agree with Lars that it was probably supposed to be Black Panther as sort of a main tentpole, but it's shifted 
um, onto Doctor Strange, and he's performed very adroit in the role. All right, and what about you, Alex? I, I mean, I think I, I like that fact of he's kind of furthering the next phase of Marvel. Um, and, and, and I get it, you know, like Lewis said, you know, he, they're shifting probably was from, you know, trying to make it about Black Panther and having that through line, but, you know, that kind of went away with uh, on the timely death. Uh, but I, I think that that was, you know, that was the way to create that next phase and create, I, I mean, he did a great job in no, or what was it? Uh, no way home. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought he did a great job and really bringing not only the Sony universe, but also, you know, the Disney Marvel universe and kind of like making that meld well together. I mean, that was a great connection between the, between the Marvel characters and the Sony Marvel characters. Um, but yeah, I think that, that that was that was pretty invaluable, especially coming when you reflect on Spider-Man, uh, like his his like presence in it really made it more. Y- yes, <laughs> uh, <laughs> to to piggyback off of that too, I think Doctor Strange actually works terribly as like a standalone character, and I like hated his first movie actually a lot. It's one of my least favorite MCU entries. But I really like him in, like, the Infinity War movie and, like, Endgame, even though he's really not there. And, like, the Spider-Man movie, it, like, works. Or in this one, where he's, you know, he is definitely the protagonist, but he has to work alongside the rest of the universe. I think that's how he works best. He's kind of boring if it's just him, if that makes sense. Yeah. I don't know how you guys feel. He needs some type of support. He can't hold the presence of, like, a movie for that a long time and like it really be like have me engaged the whole time yeah i I think i kind of agree because i think at some point this movie goes from being a movie about dr strange to a movie about uh the scarlet which is like heel turn which we'll dive into a little bit more later um and i i just don't know that they really know what to do with they know what they want to how do they want to like use the character in the sense where it's like oh because he has these kind of time and space bending powers he can kind of be there for everything and explain what's going on when we do introduce kind of weird stuff um but i think as like a character like you know there's a whole subplot about him and christine the character played by rachel mcadams their 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 relationship that did uh kind of nothing for me (laughs) and really just felt kind of like put in there because they needed to add some emotional depth to it and um i just don't know that it really hit and like there's just i also just feel like they're trying a little too hard to mold him into the kind of uh snarky um tony stark mold when i really think that i prefer i prefer my doctor strange to be a little more erudite in a way you know as kind of more mature which and that works when he's playing opposite tom holland the spider-man i don't know if it works when he's playing opposite um like, you know, when, when he has to carry his own movie. Yeah. Definitely agree with that. Right. Yeah. So uh, let's let's just talk about what this movie is actually about. So it opens with an alternate version of Doctor Strange, a kind of traipsing around uh, this sort of like space in between universes with America Chavez, who is a character from another universe who, whenever she gets very scared, 
portals open up to other universes and she kind of gets sucked into them. They're looking for the Book of Vishanti. Um, Vishanti, however you pronounce that. Um, they're, they're running away from these demons, essentially, that are chasing them. Um, Strange decides that he has to kill America Chavez to um, prevent the demons from winning. Instead, he ends up getting killed, and the portal kind of sucks them into Earth-616, the mainstream MCU universe, um, where we see the our, our Stephen Strange at Christine's wedding. He then witnesses um, what real heads will recognize as Shuma Gorath attacking America Chavez. He intervenes, um, and they stow away his alternate version's dead body, Wong gets involved as well because he is now the Sorcerer Supreme, and she America kind of sets the stage of the plot. How did we feel about this opening? Because I actually thought it was kind of bad. I thought the special effects actually looked kind of awful, I, like inexplicably bad. Like there's one wide hmm. shot where they're standing on a roof on a building, and it looked very, very fake. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Those roof shots. <laughs> yeah. Uh, a lot of the roof shots are definitely look like crummy was, CGI. Was Gorath fake? Well, yes. Are you sure I don't. About that, Mike? Well, actually, so that's the thing. I thought Shumagarath looked good. It was whenever Benedict Cumberbatch or another human actor had to be like on a rooftop or had a cape flying around them that it just looked kind of cheap. I don't know what it was. This is very. Um, I think this is untrue, but I think you could convince me that this was like the most expensive movie ever made. I think they just spent 99% of the budget on uh, effects, or at least it has that look, um, and I'm not sure that always landed. I like my superhero movies a little uh, grounded, and so I, I, I'm with you, Mike. I feel like it's a little, uh, you know, it's not distractingly bad CGI, but it is just like, uh, I wish they weren't battling an eyeball monster right now. It just looks kind of ridiculous. The eyeball monster had Adam Sandler movie written all over it. <laughs> <laughs> like, like I, I just couldn't get that. Like, I was like, "Are we at like a uh, like what's the what's the little kids uh, show? The TV show? Not the Teletubbies. The oh, Gabba Gabba. Gabba Gabba. It, it reminded me exactly of Gabba Gabba. And I was just like, "Can we get like a? Can we get like the alien? Like, I feel like the." the Marvel effects people should be top tier. So I'm like, can we get like a more menacing monster? <laughs> you know? It got, it actually took me out of that scene. Because that, that was the first thing I noticed from that scene. It was just like this weird looking monster. Yeah, I, it was, I don't know. It, it just, it, it's, it started, I feel like, on very shaky ground. And I think shaky is the way I would describe big parts of this movie. Um, but, so we move on from that. Doctor Strange realizes that um, witchcraft is involved in, in whatever's going on, so he goes to consult Wanda Maximoff, a.k.a. the Scarlet Witch, who we last saw in WandaVision, and you can read uh, Lars, Luce, and I's reaction to WandaVision in our sort of Slack discussion on thepostwriter.com, um, and basically goes to ask her for help. But it turns out that uh, she's not interested in helping because she's kind of the one behind all these attacks because she realizes that America Chavez... Um, can reunite her with uh, her, her I, str- I I hasten to say deceased twins because they didn't really exist um, <laughs> yeah. uh, but the twins who who exist who are the children of other versions of her in other universes Billy and Tommy um, 
which was you know, some was, dad that we are not. Yeah, sure yeah. About. They never mention Vision again. It's very strange, um, and it, it kind of creates this big fight scene where she attacks uh, Kamartage, which is you know like the stronghold of all these magicians, and then America Chavez transports herself and Strange into Earth eight three eight, and uh, the Scarlet Witch is now in hot pursuit. She does this by dreamwalking, which we are told happens when <coughs> she takes possession of the body of another version of her in another universe which she finds out is able she's able to do by going to mount wundagore of course a very important place in marvel lore yeah what what did we what do we think of this setup so, so i mean I, that kicks off the whole multiverse of madness sort of thing right is mm-hmm. strange and chavez are bouncing through these universes and that kind of sets up the main plot line um, and, you know, much as how, uh, you know, in Loki, King the Conqueror, and now Doctor Strange are, like, trying to hold together the multiverse uh, with, like, their two bare hands, uh, I also feel like they're trying to hold this movie's plot together <laughs> with their two bare hands. It's just very, um, things really kind of, uh, I feel like the plot actually gets away from a lot of the movie at this point. Um, and it's not entirely even in a bad way. Like, I think kind of the point is that it becomes a little overwhelming and you're not able to comprehend, and I'm fine with that, whatever. I just wish it were, like, a little more... Uh, like, I, I just wish it were a little tighter in, in how it did that. And it was like, they don't explain the dreamwalking thing very well. Like, you kind of assume, like, oh, Wanda can do that when she's sleeping, and she has to wake up eventually. There's just a lot of stuff that's really unexplained at that point, and so you're just like, well, it seems like Wanda can do everything now. It, it has that feeling of, I don't know if you guys have ever seen like 70s movies that were like, like maybe like the, the Planet of the Apes 4 or 5 or something like that, or like an uh, uh, entry in a series where it's like number 4 or 5. It has that type of thing, it has that type of sense of like, oh, we're just going to go crazier and crazier. We're just going through the multiverse. And it's just like... Uh, uh, it didn't work. It didn't work. It felt shaky from the beginning. Like, I, literally the first scene, like, I think the first scene, the actual first scene when they're having the dream, all that stuff, I think that was, caught me right away. And then right after that, I never felt that feeling again. I don't know if that's weird. Actually, maybe one other time in the movie, um, which we'll probably get to. Uh, but, and and also, I know this is going to be Kind of a hot take. Sam Raimi is not after. If you look at his, look at his filmography, after Spider Man Two gets pretty shaky. Made some of the best movies of the nineties, right? I think he made Simple Plan. If you guys ever watch that dope movie? Um, I think he made Quick and the Dead. Great nineties movie, but. After Spider-Man 2. Mm, Are you saying Oz, the great and powerful, was not an A-plus movie? (laughs) I actually did like that, though. (laughs) I did like it. I've heard good things about Drag Me to Hell, although I've never seen it. Um, I do remember that, but what was that? When was that? That was like, what? 2009. 2009, yeah. It's like, I I think Sam Raimi is a better executive producer and producer instead of a director. If you look at his producer credits, 
a lot of great shows. Hercules, um, an old show from the 90s that was very science fiction-y, even though I get the rep from Lewis being science fiction, I'm not. But it's that was a great show about uh, kind of a superhero in a wheelchair. Um, he has great stuff like as a producer and executive producer. But after Spider-Man 2, I don't know. Outside of maybe like the cult horror genre, I don't. I don't really want Sam Raimi. I could have. I could have had somebody else direct this. Like, I could have had. Who was the director of uh, Spider-Man: No Way Home? John. John Watts. John. John Watts, no Watts. Yeah. No style. Watts. Lewis's <laughs> favorite director. Uh, I think. I, 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 I mean. I kind of think I, I defend Raimi on this one. Okay. Yeah, I mean, Alex, I, like, agree with you. Like, if I had the option between Raimi doing another superhero movie or just doing another movie, I would gladly have him do something else. There's, yeah. like, no reason for him to, like, be brought onto the Marvel machine to just, like, you know, execute Kevin Feige's vision of flatly executed shot cut to flatly executed shot. <laughs> I would rather I, and have I the most minimal amount of Raimi-ness in the movie. I, w- I was disappointed on that front. Well, I to that point, it is what I... And we will get to this a little bit more later, but in a way, I kind of appreciate it in a way that this felt like a movie at war with itself, where it kind of felt like a movie where uh, Sam Raimi was like, I want to basically kind of like make a self homage to Evil Dead. And Kevin Feige was like, no, you have to stick to like these plot points. And it felt like there was like a big push and pull throughout the entire movie, which I think in some ways was like as far as coherence went was kind of to its detriment. But it also made it, like, unpredictable in a way that I appreciated and had these, like, like these stylistic flourishes you don't get in a lot of Marvel movies, even if it was just kind of, a, in, in some ways, Raimi regurgitating things he's already done. Yes. Yeah. I, I, I actually think Raimi is a useful presence in this movie, even if he is working within the Marvel uh, constraints. I actually think he does a, a pretty good job. Of, like, Kevin Feige clearly has, like, the long view on, like, where the characters and plot needs to go. But Raimi, like, this <laughs> this is the most genuinely surprising of any Marvel entry I've seen thus far. And I, like, was terrified at <laughs> various moments uh, in this movie. What what terrified you, Lars? There's, like, there's oh. a lot of just genuinely scary elements in this movie. There's a lot Talk more jump scares. feelings for Christine. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that was scary. No, I don't, I don't know. I mean, I, I guess we'll get into this uh, in a bit. But, you know, it, it is... Uh, there are some, you see the horror influence in this movie, and there's a lot of jump scares, and there's uh, some characters that are doing some kind of creepy or scary things, and you know, you don't get jump scares in Marvel movies, you know? It, it was, or like, the ring references in Marvel movies, or and whatnot. It was, it was, it was very unique in that regard. I, I mean, I do agree with you on that, that that, that was a cool, uh, you know, that was a cool unpredictability factor of this movie. I think that's the one thing that it does have going, or one of the very few things it does have going for it is that it had that unpredictability of like, oh, um, that horror element. But it, there's just certain times when I'm watching the movie where I'm like, Sam Raimi is just trying to impress Sam Raimi on how much he can be Sam Raimi. <laughs> you know? It's just like, like oh, like the... The, especially when, you know, the other, the alternative uh, Doctor Strange gets into the loop. It's just like, okay, 
all right i get it you're clever i get it like you're you're a good horror person but it's like it's not a it's, it's not it's not taking me anywhere you know this is a somewhat unrelated aside, but your Sam Raimi, like, making this film to please Sam Raimi. Reminder, have you guys seen the memes of, like, where Taika Waititi said that Thor Love and Thunder is, like, a fantastic film? And so there's all these memes of him, like, giving himself an award. <laughs> <laughs> all right. um, I mean, like, just comparing this to, like, some of... Uh... Raimi's other scary movies because I've seen a lot of people talk about how like how scary the movie is and it just makes me think have any has any of these people ever seen like a horror movie because it felt like very watered down compared to like something like Evil Dead 2 or Army of Darkness which I've seen multiple times each but it just it it didn't feel all that scary or innovative to me um I mean like compared to like Spider-Man 2 like the scene where um the doctors are operating on Dr. Octopus and the arms come alive and he arms kill all the doctors like that felt much more scary and stuff than anything in this movie yeah I wow, that's a good point i, I would agree i would yeah agree it is yeah <laughs> no because i was just thinking about like like those cuts those cuts of that scene that you were talking about that's scarier than that's genuinely scarier than anything that i saw in this movie like like the the close in shots, the black and white wording. It's just oh like I think that, that he he doesn't have the pulse. He doesn't have the pulse. Like we talk about that a lot about artists, about like music artists. A lot like they're they don't know what's going on right now as far as like the current consumer of whatever their art is. And I feel like Sam Raimi is in that boat now. Where I'm like, you're trying to do it this way, but I'm like you can't uh, you can't apply it to this particular work and you can't and, it, and that doesn't affect the consumer in the same way that it did probably maybe like 10 years ago you know moving along with the plot so they're in earth 838 um they visit sort of like they find out that that version's doctor strange is dead they visit sort of like the sanctum sanctorum which on the outside is basically this big monument to doctor strange um turns out is actually the headquarters uh, this universe's Illuminati, which includes which includes Baron Carl Mordo, who the ultimate version of Baron Carl Mordo, um, Captain Peggy Carter, Black Bolt, uh, Maria Rambo, Charles Xavier. Wait, what? And Reed Richards. Wait, what? <laughs> oh my um, God. Well, well, we'll talk about how we feel about those introductions a little bit later. But basically, they tell um, that's they tell our strange that their strange um had gotten too dangerous um he was corrupted by the dark hold or whatever they end up killing him after they uh, defeat thanos yes went to a farm upstate yes yeah they at first i was like oh they planet hulked him they just shot him into space but no they actually murdered him um uh wanda comes in like her alternate body um basically kills all the illuminati um they uh strange and america chavez end up in this other world that's it's really convergence of two worlds strange finds an alternate version of himself where he's going to get um the book of ashanti from him there's this very interesting fight scene that i actually enjoyed a lot between the two stranges um chavez has been captured at yes, this point. yes yes that too um that strange 
our strange beats the evil strange um and then dream walks into the dead body of the other other strange and kind of uh leads to the climax where he confronts wanda at mount wundagore um and uh they fight um and then wanda sort of goes into another alternate universe where she sees another version of her kids but they're scared of her because she's crazy um and that kind of like leads her to sort of give up and die um how did we feel about this 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 climax and and all 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 that stuff i just described (laughs) i felt like it like the way you summarized it at the very end like she sort of gave up and died yeah (laughs) i I liked the human parts more than i liked the the cgie parts so i like when wanda has to confront her not her, but other hers children. Mm-hmm. And she's like, I'm not a monster. Right, yeah. I'm, I think I, like, that's like that oddly, good. yeah, yeah, like where it's like, I'm not a monster and she just is like covered in blood and like looks very like insane. Like that's like, I like yeah. I almost laughed out loud when that happened because it's just like, yeah. I'm not here to, it's like, I'm not here to hurt you. I'm just here to kill your mom. It was just like right, very, yeah, right. uh, very bizarre. Um, so I, you know, I kind of liked those parts. I, I'm not sure I was as riveted of like the necromancer, Dr. Strange and how he's able to just control the spirits because he realizes he's a magician, uh, sorry, a wizard <laughs> a sorcerer. Um, <laughs> and I don't know. Like I, I, I was way less captivated by the time like evil strange number three rolls around or whichever one it is. And they, have the little battle with music. I actually did not care for that. <laughs> yeah, it, uh, I didn't. I mean, I I will say that Scarlet Witch has one of the most intriguing plot lines throughout all of the Marvel universe. You know, when you think about her art, you know, especially when you think about her as a hero. You know, you think about her in the comic book or. Um, you know, maybe other cartoons, like, she's kind of a secondary character, or, like, you know, she's kind of a, you know, she's not part of the main pack of Avengers, Um, but she's, I mean, WandaVision, all the different multiple movies, this one, I really genuinely appreciate her different, you know, trajectory throughout the Marvel Universe, but, I mean, like you said, Lars, throughout the, I mean, once you get to, like, the third Doctor evil doctor strange it's just like oh okay all right all right i'm i'm ready for this to end i'm ready for this to end. like wrap it up like i i literally have like dave chappelle used to say like the wrap it up box like mm-hmm. that's where i'm at <laughs> like once i got to that point of like the second or third evil doctor strange i'm like let's go i actually liked the dead zombie doctor strange and the music fight they actually felt like something interesting but, like, everything else in this movie was, like, it all happened. It all felt rushed. Like, everything felt, mm-hmm. like, really, like, happened really quickly. Nothing really, like, you know, you were able to, like, linger and get soaked up into it. So I would have liked it if it, like, let us linger in it a bit more. But um, on the other hand, I do appreciate that the ru- keeping the runtime of a movie short. But yeah well oh, yeah, it's, i mean two hours and six minutes is pretty short for a marvel movie i guess yeah no, that's i was what actually I surprised I applied, I applied how short that. this one was 
Yeah, I um, yeah, I, I agree with you, Lewis. I enjoyed the music fight. I enjoyed the reanimated reanimated Doctor Strange. It just honestly, like, probably the since at the very least since Endgame, probably the two most interesting action sequences in a Marvel movie that have occurred. Um, and I just yeah, which is kind of just like another another idea because you can only have people shooting energy bolts at each other so often. <laughs> um, <laughs> But I also agree that it felt rushed. And I think, like, a big issue of that is just that, like, you had to... You could conceivably go into this movie without seeing the original Doctor Strange or even, like, Spider-Man No Way Home and, like, knowing enough. But you also had to, like, watch WandaVision to really understand what was going on. And that just kind of struck me as, like... I don't know. that I feel like that was ultimately to, like, the script's detriment because then it... It really just ends up feeling like a... It feels like a chapter instead of like a fully fleshed out idea, I guess, a fully fleshed out story. Um, yeah, it. I, I could definitely see that perspective because, I mean, you, you just kind of see it as a a continuation of like WandaVision in a weird way um, for me. Because I, 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 do, I do like the fact that we do understand this, the villain of the movie, which is Scarlet Witch, like her motivation, which is an understandable motivation she thinks she's seeing she's trying to get recapture her kids regardless if you think her kids were alive you know what do you will categorize that as her kids as real or fake um I, you can make a case or either or but that motivation i respect because a lot of times you know in superhero movies we, we kind of see that uh you see their motivations not really, not really there. You don't see, we might see like, oh, world domination or this or that, but like, okay, all right, Scarlet Witch wants to get back with their kids. We get that. Um, but, you know, with them, the actual fabric of the plot, <laughs> it's funny because they're tearing through the multiverse, but you, they're actually tearing through the, the fabric of the plot. But, you know. And then uh, we get um as 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 is required we have two post-credit scenes in this movie um one in which dr strange's third eye shows up again he develops a third eye um and uh clear before the end credits well yes but then it pops up again in the end credit scene um when clea played by Charlize theron a character who i did not recognize until i went home and looked it up um, Me too. <laughs> basically, it's like, oh, we need your help. They open up a portal. They they float away, and then the end end credit scene with uh, with Bruce Campbell. Of course, uh, we forgot to mention. So Bruce Campbell is in every Sam Raimi movie. He's obviously the lead in the Evil Dead films, and he uh, has notable cameo appearances and like everything else he's done. And he appears as a character named the Pizza Papa in. <laughs> Um, Earth eight three eight. Which did you notice, Lars? A, that a Detroiters steal, man. I know they're the pizza balls. Pizza balls. I I, so I, is... I think Sam Raimi is a secret Detroiters fan because he's also from he, Michigan. Yeah, he's from Michigan. Um, he and Bruce Campbell are from Michigan. Yeah, they also um, mentioned like another another Easter egg is like in one of the alternate universes. The uh, Billy and Tommy are like you know who's the best? The two thousand three Detroit Tigers who were actually historically one of the worst baseball teams of all time. So I like how, um, given the power of changing history, Sam Raimi was like, I'm going to make my favorite baseball team good, which is exactly what I would do, too. Um, I'd make the 2004 Mets good. Anyway. Um, uh, but what we, what we see, Bruce Campbell, who had been like, 
you know, um, Doctor Strange cast a spell to make him punch himself because he was trying to get money out of him and America. And at the end, Bruce Campbell just turns. When he stops punching himself, he turns to the, like, faces the camera and yells, It's over! Which I felt was kind of like an interesting, like, little troll of, like, a post-post-credit scene. Um, just kind of commenting on, like, the inherent ridiculousness of that device. Um, but yeah. Yeah. So I, I liked it. I, I liked it, but it was like, again, it was like Sam Raimi seeing how much he could be Sam Raimi. Like, he's impressing himself again. And it's just like... Would rather he be, Alex? I mean, it's like... It, it, I don't understand credit, why they... you hate this man. What did he do to you? My vitriol for Sam Raimi. Imagine, like, me with the... I mean, he hasn't, like, directed anything in almost 10... He hasn't directed a feature film in almost 10 years, so, like, you've won, all right? Like, what is... <laughs> I mean... I, I like that post-credit sequence. I mean, the fact that it says, you know, Bruce... I love Bruce Campbell. Love Bruce Campbell. Love Bruce Campbell. But, you know... I, it's like him just trying to be... Impress himself with being Sam Raimi again. But I do like the fact that they, they point... You know, they point fun at it being over... You know that that's cool, um, but it's kind of a sign. Doctor my, Strange is like evil, though, right? Because he just makes the guy punch himself for wanting money for food. <laughs> yeah, Which that's actually very. Re- he's very reasonable. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the uh, the ethics of that did not really track. Um, but how else is Bruce Campbell gonna do his Three Stooges shtick, Lars? Come on. <laughs> It's a, it's a very good question. Me and, me and Matt were the only ones uh, laughing in the theater when that happened, and I was like, ooh, we're in the wrong crowd. <laughs> <laughs> These people are going to be disappointed. Um, my mom thought it was hilarious. Uh, but anyway, let's. Uh, now that we've finished describing the plot, let's take a quick commercial break, and we'll come back to discuss uh, some other stuff going around this movie. Enjoying this podcast and wondering where you can find more intelligent and insightful content just like it? Just head over to thepostcard.com, where you can find the latest opinion and analysis on politics, music, film, television, and a litany of other topics. In addition to our articles and podcasts, you can also check out our visual features, like our Floor Fight Bracket, our 2024 Republican nomination draft, and in presidential election and midterm election years, a map with all of our analysis. And if you like what you read, you can subscribe to our newsletter and, if you're feeling generous, donate to the site so we can keep churning out the content you know and love. If you love the site so much that you want to write for it, drop us a line at contact at thepostwriter.com. We're always looking for new contributors and willing to read any pitch you may have. That's the great thing about The Postwriter. It's not just about us. It's also about you. So head over to thepostwriter.com and see if there's anything that piques your interest. We bet there is. All right. So we mentioned this earlier, but uh, we were kind of talking about the horror elements in this movie. But this is, like I said, I, I said in my the outline I typed up, like, Marvel movies are all inherently violent. They're action movies. They're about one person fighting another or multiple people fighting another. Um, but there have actually been, like, a few op-eds, like one was written in Variety, that have kind of asked... Why was this movie not rated R? And, you know, there's, like I said, there's some very violent scenes. Uh, The way that Wanda dispatches of the Illuminati, um, she essentially disembowels Captain Carter with her own shield. 
She sews up Black Bolt's mouth so that his voice blows up his own brain. She basically shreds Reed Richards like string cheese and then his head blows <laughs> up. Um, you know, fun stuff like that. There's a, a, you know, desiccated corpse walking on its own. Um, I guess my question is like, we talked about how we felt about Raimi's direction, but how did we feel about this kind of, um, what felt like a, again, this is, you know, this is, this movie is, this is hardly like a Tarantino movie, right? But how did we feel about this, like, slightly more grisly turn, I guess, when it came to the action and violence? I thought it was good. I, I mean, I kind of made the case earlier that I thought that was a welcome departure from Marvel's form. Uh, I do think this is a scary movie. There are definitely horror elements. I think you could make an argument for an R rating. And there were moments in the theater, like like I said, I jumped. <laughs> and I don't... Uh, so what? Sue me. I was scared in the theater of, of Wanda Maximoff. Like, what's wrong with that? I think the, the fact that there are horror elements that are great um, that are, you know, that I think that do work for this, do work for this movie. But I think overall it doesn't, you know, the complete horror thread doesn't work for this plot in this movie. But I do want to ask you guys a question. Do you think Marvel not having a continuing universe and not having an R-rated movie, is that sustainable? For the Marvel Universe. Yeah. Unless we enter it's a, a Children of Men scenario yes. where new people stop being born, there will always be... <laughs> <a continuum. laughs> I, I think is it sustainable? Yes. I I think... When are we going to get our first triple X rated Marvel movie? I mean, <laughs> seriously. The mark gets wide open. She-Hulk? Ah. <laughs> don't get Lars started. Um, don't get me too excited. Um, I, I, I don't know. I, I was reading the, I think it's in the Variety article mm-hmm. um, that kind of was like, hey, maybe this, this should have been R-rated or, or something like that. And, you know, they made the point, it's like, would I bring children under the age of like 10 to see this movie? And, you know, it is rated PG-13, so in theory you should not. <laughs> but, of course, people do because it's a superhero movie. And I think the answer is like very clearly no. Like, I... I <laughs> I would not bring children to see this movie. I probably wouldn't bring, you know, children under the age of uh, 13 to see this movie. That'd be... <laughs> it's scary. There's scary parts. It's, it's pretty disturbing. You see characters getting, like, brutally murdered by... Uh, a witch. Uh, a witch. <laughs> I mean, that's fair. That's fair. How, how old were you when you saw episode three, Revenge of the Sith, where Anakin Skywalker decapitates a man and then his body is... I, I think this is gets burned by lava. Yeah, I think this is much more disturbing than Star Wars Episode Three. I it's it's less graphic. I think the deaths are presented with a little bit more of like a shock value. But I think that really like like to piggyback like um, the Pirates of the Caribbean at World's End opens with a child being hanged to death, right? <laughs> like right yeah. after the Disney logo. Yes, right after the <laughs> Disney logo. Um, the Dark Knight is rated PG-13, right? And there's a, good, a guy gets stabbed through the eye of a pencil on that. Um, I saw people bringing children to The Batman, you know, which has lots of unsavory themes in it. 
So I think it's very weird that this movie in particular has been like singled out as like, should this be rated R? When there are probably other PG-13 rated movies that have like a bigger, like a, a more convincing argument to be rated R, I guess. I, I think what it is, and this is where I've kind of been going this whole time, is, you know, if, if you, you have an understanding basically of like the level of, of violence and kind of what it's going to look like in every Marvel mm-hmm. movie or Marvel TV show... Um, and I'm, you know, excluding like Daredevil and Jessica Jones and whatnot. Well, that's what I was going to say. And I think this like goes beyond and exceeds that. Is yeah. I, I think this yeah. is actually one level up. And if you had no idea going into it, you would have been like, oh my God, that was actually like way, uh, way darker and more violent than any of the rest of these. Yeah. I was going to say, I feel like Marvel's like R-rated sort of like urges are cha- were channeled into like Daredevil and the Punisher, like the, the Netflix yeah. shows. Yeah. yeah. And two, yeah. I mean... They could do it in Moon Knight, right? I feel like that's the most sort of like thematically edgy thing they've done in a while. But but when I say, are they able to continue? Are they able to? I mean, obviously it's incentivized for them to, you know, do PG thirteen and under. But creatively and keeping people's attention with the Marvel universe, is it sustainable? Because. I, I mean, we say it all. We said it on previous podcasts. You know, the way that DC could overtake them, or at least make a dent in some of their market share, is being darker and leaning on that, um, and capturing audiences that way. Um, but do you guys think that, as far as keeping people interested, will it still be sustainable without having a radar movie? more darker it's, it's not going to happen because r-rated movies don't make as much money as pg-13 movies i, I mean I, I guess i see disney doing an r-rated deadpool movie um I, and i think this is a thing actually disney as a company overall is currently struggling with and um i can't remember if mike you and i talked about it on politics express with the with a gay twist guys but you know it's like D- disney's struggling to really like you know, when they put Daredevil on, on Disney Plus, and then they got some backlash, which I think is, like, incredibly stupid. And it's like, hey, this is, like, this contrasts with your family-friendly image. It's like Disney's an entertainment company, and I think it's okay. I think most people are smart enough to realize that an entertainment company makes entertainment of di- different magnitudes and different levels for different people. Um, just because something's also- on Disney Plus doesn't mean, you know, it's rated and G. And can't you... Can't you just have the rating system or the ratings setting in place on your Disney Plus account? I'm like, I, I never understood that argument of like, yeah, you can just literally have it filtered out. So it's like, whatever. yeah, yeah. There's definitely a, uh, a parents who don't want a parent. I feel like is kind of like <laughs> one of the motivators. Exactly. Right. Behind. I'm kind of skirting past the argument that like maybe we should just get rid of movie ratings in general, but we can get to that later. Well, that's that's never gonna happen. But yeah. I, I mean, I, the thing is like I think they're more in danger of like like the, these movies print money, right? I don't think they're particularly worried about having to introduce a rated R movie. There's a chance they just like run out of ideas at some point. But I actually don't think that'll make them stop making movies. They'll just, like, start over again, basically. They'll just hit the reboot button. So, yeah. Um, All right. So the other thing, and we've alluded to it already, um, I'm calling this segment Cameo Palooza because that's kind of what the Illuminati scene was, right? Um, 
it introduced uh it, obviously it brings back baron mordo which we kind of assumed would happen because it's a doctor strange movie um but it also brings back as we said Haley atwell as captain carter not just agent carter it brought back uh, maria rambo as captain marvel which she had not portrayed in the past um it, isn't it monica rambo it's maria i was wrong oh. monica is her daughter i think um monica's the actual character in the comics but maria's the, the younger uh, daughter yeah oh, Mon- gotcha. monica's the one who appears in wandavision her mother is maria oh, oh okay. okay that's what i thought okay. yes yeah um Anson Mount of the ill-fated Inhumans TV show <laughs> a- <laughs> appears as Black Bolt. And then, of course, you get Patrick Stewart as Professor X and Jack Krasinski as Reed Richards. So I feel like this is a thing that this movie, Marvel movies in general get a lot of crap for, and pretty deservedly so, is um, the way it treats these cameos and kind of milks them for everything. Um, and you could almost argue that No Way Home is an entire movie built around cameos. <laughs> um, how do we feel about this this whole cameo thing? Like, did, 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 you, did you find it all as annoying as I did? Or am I just a I, prank? I, I think you're kind of being grumpy. <laughs> I think you're being kind of grumpy. I, I, I think that people, especially people who go into superhero movies they want to see other superheroes i i I don't know what to tell you i mean and and you're creating market share for newer superheroes and you're you're going to have to especially with the marvel universe now you have to tie in multiple plot lines that have to continue into future tv shows and movies but i thought that the cameo for this movie the cameos for this movie were one of the good things i liked about it I like seeing John Krasinski as uh, as Reed, you know, seeing Professor Xavier in the all. And I don't know if you guys noticed when they were, uh, you know, when they got on, they started the shot on Professor X. They started playing the '90s X Men like yeah. Movie, uh, yeah. music. Yeah, that was great. And you know, seeing Captain Carter, I thought it also actually seeing Black Bolt. <laughs> in a movie was amazing it made all my 90s iron man cartoon dreams alive um and i did not see the inhuman show unfortunately i don't i don't think i think i I don't think anybody did kevin feige Um, and the actors families are the only people who've ever watched that show uh i guess i i half agree with alex where Mike, the movie is called Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness. Would you have preferred if there was no cameo out there? Wouldn't it have been weirder if like there was no one else out there? They they, um, they actually should have leaned on the cameos I, more for the plot. I, I agree. I, I The thing that I both hate and like and is how becomes, little time they spend with these characters. But the problem is they like have them very briefly too, right? It, you know, Multiverse of like Madness, I'm kind of assuming they bounce between... Four multiverses, like more than four multiverses, but they are, they're really only in like four or five, right? It'd be kind of cool if it was like, oh, okay, now we gotta bounce to this next multiverse because Wanda like kicked us too hard. And oh my god, look who it is. It's Tony Stark, but he's a child. I don't know. Like, they should do more weird stuff for shorter instead of just having one universe for shorter. Yeah, this this plot opens, it, it literally invites. It, it should invite some type of like 
Marvel zaniness. It's like, oh, I'm going to these different universes, and they do do that, but it's like, I want to see the different universes that involve other superhero characters. I don't want to just see evil Doctor Strange with the third eye. I mean, that's cool. That's that's great for leaning on the horror thematics, but as far as like keeping me intrigued as a you know well versed and educated Marvel consumer, which mo- a lot of the Marvel consumers are, I want them to lean on those other heroes. Like imagine like like. Like Lars was saying, imagine, you know, you see Reed Richards in this different universe where he's maybe like Tony Stark's kind of prestige or, you know, caliber. You know, they should have played on that more instead of leaning on the horror thematics. They should have leaned on more of the cameos, which I usually do not say, but for this purpose, they should have leaned on this. Yeah, you, they wrote themselves, they, had, they could do whatever they want in this movie and it wouldn't matter, exactly. right? So why why not do do a little more? It would just be I don't know, just be more interesting. Like you can recast everyone, right? It doesn't actually matter. You could have three hundred Reed Richards in this movie. It doesn't matter who's playing them. You could have extras playing them. Um, Imagine having Bruce Campbell playing one of the Reed right? Richards. That would that would have been a great cameo. Imagine a pizza ball man. <laughs> uh, so yeah, I, I think the part that bothered me the most is that so much emphasis is just on like a few cameos for like 10 minutes. But really, like who put the emphasis on it? Because it wasn't in the trailers or anything. It was all, that's it, what I the mean, fans speculate. I that's think it is want. very much Oh, well, yeah, Professor X was in the yeah. trailer. All right, I'll grant you. But I mean, it's in the trailer, so it's like, <coughs> you're going to be like, whoa, Professor X is in this? Uh, but um, <coughs> yeah, I mean, I don't know. Um, there's a there's an old Russian story about the the dancing bear, about people be like, oh, I want to see the dancing bear, and they all go pay money to see the dancing bear because they've never seen a bear dance. But then uh, when the curtain rises, it's just a regular bear and it doesn't dance. But it doesn't matter because everyone, the ticket sellers already made all their money. And I feel like that's what what's been happening with a lot of modern movies, is that they, a lot of it is based around like the mystery of like what might be in the movie. So that way everyone goes to see it opening weekend, which is how the studios make most of their money is by people going to see it the first opening weekend. Because then as the weeks go on, the movie theaters themselves start to make more and more of the take. So I think uh, a lot of that plays into it. So and I don't necessarily agree with it. I think like you should level and like tell your audience what's actually in your movie instead of basing around like the secret of what might be in your movie, even though like most of the audience like knows even if they pretend they don't know what's actually going to be in the movie um so yeah so i mean like the cameos like you've said they were really short almost like they were cameos and i don't know if it was really worth getting all that excited or getting all that hoopla about and then i see people wanting to like have a secret wars movie come out and i feel like they completely misunderstood like the lesson of like trying to raise expectations so high for like a movie that ultimately is just a doctor strange movie like it says in the title don't get too excited folks when millie the model doesn't show up (laughs) yeah i can't imagine a secret wars movie being very good um especially because the original comic wasn't very good um i i so i think where i come down on this is that like i don't on the one hand i'm a comic book fan so like i think it's kind of cool when stuff like this happens but on the other hand, I there is something I find 
I almost want to say infantilizing about it. <laughs> like there is a sort of like I I find there's a little bit of like a cynicism and to it as well. And if you like, I don't know. It just like people knew Patrick Stewart was going to be in this movie. Why then? If that's the case, like why applaud when he comes up on screen? Which is what happened in my theater, right? Like if you know it's going to happen, and th- like the 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 way certain people were like. Um, reacting to the appearance of Andrew Garfield on Tobey Maguire in No Way Home. We all knew that was going to happen. Like, you don't have to cheer when it happens. Like, I... What? what? And it's like, I don't... And I don't mind people spontaneously and genuinely reacting to things on screen audibly. I think that's fun. I actually think that's probably what would be going to see this movie fun because when, like, the grislier aspects happened, like, there was an audible reaction from the crowd. I think that was a lot of fun. But it's when there are things we all know are going to happen... It almost feels like these people feel like they have to cheer and react that way, and that just kind of like annoys me. It. I, I think, I think you're kind. Of, I think you're wrong about that, though. I think, I think, he's wrong that about is the power opinion. of superheroes, as as the IP property, is that when you see your other favorite superhero in another movie, that it brings out that reaction. Even if, even though you, I mean, everybody had a hunch that pretty much Andrew Garfield was going to be in the movie. But seeing him on that screen with this newer version of Spider-Man, it brings that energy out of the crowd. And that's part of, uh, that's part of it. Yeah. That's the part of Just let people have fun, Mike. I, I have, I have no problem with people having (laughs) fun. I'm not against fun. I guess, I don't know. There is something that feels sort of, I can't wait for when Luke Skywalker shows up in the next Marvel movie, Lars, and you'll, we'll be the ones telling you just have fun. Just have fun. Yeah. When, when they, when they deep fake Harrison Ford, Mark Hamill, and <laughs> Carrie Fisher, because did you see that comment from Kathleen Kennedy where it's like well, we can't replace any of the original cast anymore when they just make an entirely deep fake movie? <laughs> just you wait. Um, but I will say the other thing, and it's this this again is like kind of like um, perhaps a bit mean spirited of me, but that's also kind of why I appreciated the way that the Illuminati were killed because it really felt like Sam Raimi being like, "You want your cameos?" Here's your fucking cameos. They're all dead now. Like, there was yeah. something very kind of, like, <laughs> spiteful about that that I actually yeah. very much appreciated. And, like, it also, yes. like, it, because it, it's, and this is maybe just me being, like, kind of a comic book snob, but it's, like, when I first started reading comic books and, like, I would say I really started seriously reading them, like, I'd say, like, 2005 to 2007, right? And, like, nasty stuff was happening to a lot of the characters I really liked. Right? Like, I first started reading, like, the Civil War area where Nitro blows up a school. Right? Um, I was reading in the Avengers Disassembled era, you know, the House of M era. Like, all this really unpleasant stuff was happening. And there was, like, a weird... Maybe this is me as, like, a... a uh, I don't know. There, there's just, like, a degree of, like... I, I, am, I sort of, like, appreciate that people who were maybe not as, like, in tune with the comics. Because we all know or people who, knew, who read the comics knew like that, you know, Wanda has this turn. But there was something that I kind of... I enjoyed that, like, people were getting the shock of that happening. Not because I wanted them to feel bad, but because I feel like it kind of is a... It's an interesting experience, I guess. I don't know. Yeah. I'm, I... I think that... Uh, with 
with them having this, I, like, first of all, in regards to <laughs> the comment about the cameos, I do think that you specifically, we're, we're going to come up with a new, or Grandpa Michael. Like, you know how <laughs> LeBron has, like, like Miami-era LeBron or mm-hmm. Cleveland? You have Grandpa Michael. <laughs> <laughs> it's like this cinema, it's like this cinema grandpa who who uses who probably watches Citizen Kane. Yeah, that, that, that's your version. That's what I'm going to nickname you from time to time. It's Grandpa Michael. Um, but I I, I I do like the fact that, that probably Sam Raimi probably did do that character killing just to kind of like spite us as viewers. I I never saw it from that perspective and I think that that if he actually did that for that reason, I'll give him props for that. Shout out to him. Yeah, I, I, but, I that. <laughs> shout out to him. I respect it. But I mean, having Cammy, I think the plot, the plot, and creating more excitement for the future movies. This was the one to generate all that, generate more of that, because you could have played with it a lot more. Just like we said previously, you could have played more with a lot of it, and you could have, you would have been heralded for it. It would have been, it wouldn't have been excessive. The horror themes were excess, were too excessive for the consumer that was watching this movie. And I don't mean that in intensity type of way. I mean that in like a just rhythm, the rhythm of the movie, rhythm of the plot. Um, yeah, TCM host Michael is is I guess my new. Um, my new identity. <laughs> uh, all right. Um, so yeah, I, I think um, we, we, you know, we, we've we've talked about this movie sort of uh, all, all different kinds of ways. So I, I think we're going to pretty much uh, wrap it up here. And I guess I will um, let's let's pose this question. Um, let's say. If where in the where in the MCU would you rank this movie? You don't have to give like an exact number, but just a general idea. Um, and you know, what uh, what are you looking forward to, if anything at all, in in future MCU installments? Lars yeah, <laughs> <laughs> um, I I think I would put this movie in like the bottom third of of Marvel movies. I think it's. You know, is it better than the first Doctor Strange? Yes, that movie actually sucked. <laughs> is it better than Iron Man 3? Yes, that movie also sucked. Um, I, I think actually what saves this movie is kind of what we talked about, is that it, it has these different elements. It uses characters a little more riskily, like it does with Wanda. Uh, and it, you know, just like kills off people after introducing them, and it's kind of brutal that way. Like, I think that makes it interesting. Um, the plot is held together <laughs> by... You know, a lot of magic or something. Um, Sorcery. And, yeah. Chromaty. And um, I actually think uh, uh, Baron Mordo's uh, character, like, does not work in this movie. I think they, like, tease him as, like, the next big, big Doctor Strange villain, and then he never pans out. And he's actually not... He, he really doesn't carry the plot at all in this movie. He, he's not really relevant. Um... So I'd, I'd put it in the bottom third. I guess I'd say that. Okay. First of all, I want to say I hate this question. Because <laughs> it's like saying, where do you think this Danielle Steele romance novel ranks among the rest of the Danielle Steele romance novels? I, that's an interesting like, question, too. This whole thing too. has become so big 
that has to be like it's like some people this is their only film canon it's watching these 28 movies it's like ugh. anyway um i think i'll agree with lars i'll put it in the bottom third with the rest of the marvel movies um <laughs> but but no seriously <laughs> as someone who got paid to watch a lot of bad movies last year this is really like the most mediocre average movie like it's the kind of thing where it's like i left the theater and it's like an hour later it's like it had completely like left my brain where it's like i struggled to like even like talk about it or anything it's just like most forgettable so i'd put it in the middle like give it like a five like say it's like incredibly average very mediocre disappointed because sam raimi was coming back to direct it but ultimately it was just like it's fine whatever it's not the worst movie ever made um if anyone says that they're crazy and they can go watch more <laughs> movies let me wait hold on let me ask you this lewis in terms of multiverse movies, did you like this or Everything Everywhere All at Once better? Oh, God. Um, well, Everything... I mean, it's a better movie. It's a much longer movie. Um, that's a whole separate discussion. I guess I would rather everyone see Everything Everywhere All at Once. But um, I like Daniel's previous movie, Swiss Army Man, better. So I'd say go see that instead. Okay. Uh uh, yeah, I, I, I think I would have to put it in the bottom third, like Lars. Um, pretty disappointed. Uh, coming in, I thought this was, you know, this was one of the movies I wanted to see this summer. You know, it's up there with Jurassic Dominion or, or, or Jurassic World or whatever, um, and Top Gun and some of the others, Everything Everywhere. You know, it's up those. It, it was one of those movies where I was like, "Oh, I'm I'm excited for the summer season for this," and it let me down. Um, you know, they had they had a lot of room in this plot to play with. <laughs> you know, it's it's literally what you dream of when you think about you know a scenario for like a writer or director. You get to play with many universes within one movie, within one continuing uh, IP universe within itself. And they they dropped the ball, um, you know. Like you know, um, I know my Sam Raimi hatred is going to probably be further with the statement, but I mean he he dropped the ball, and he should have probably been a producer instead of a director um, here. And I think that he would have been he that would have linked well more than him directing. Um, I think. I think the casting as well. I think Benedict as Doctor Strange um, is interesting, but I, I, he can't carry a movie on his own. And I think that maybe is that going to be something that they regret for the future? Um, uh, kind of casting Benedict as Doctor Strange because you know in the in the comic book and other you know other Marvel cartoons, Doctor Strange is kind of like. Uh, Suaver. He's, you know, he's kind of this, uh, he's kind of, I don't know what his ethnicity is, but it, it's kind of seems Latin at times in some of the cartoons. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, I understand going with Benedict, you know, obviously elementary or, um, Sherlock. Yeah, you know, Sherlock fame. Um, and I, I, I'm not mad at the casting, but I don't know if it works out. I don't know if it works out. Uh, by himself. I mean, the Doctor Strange movie wasn't good. This movie wasn't good. The only times I've, I've seen him work is in unison in other movies as a side character. 
So maybe in the future they might want to just delegate him to a side character in movies. And I'm not mad at that, you know? Um, that's where a lot of people, if you go to comic book uh, comic book conventions, they first saw Doctor Strange on uh, Spider-Man, the 90s cartoon. I, I talked about that. I talked with a couple of people in comic book conventions and festivals, and like more than four or five people said they got introduced via that cartoon, and he was a side character. And I think that says something. And maybe they should continue him just as a side character. Yeah, I um, I weirdly, despite all of my complaining, think I probably like this movie the best out of the four of us. Um, I would also probably have in the bottom third, though, but, like, the top of the bottom third? My whole thing <laughs> is that, like, I blacked out any time they were trying to explain the plot. Like, I just kind of... It, it was convoluted to the... like And, like, in comic books in general, that's always been my least favorite part, is when they talk about these sort of, like... Um, convoluted kind of, like... Uh, metaphysical things like i could I, I still cannot explain to you what the crisis on infinite earths was it just my brain does not work that way um but and i, and I know Lewis thinks i'm an idiot for that but anyway i <laughs> um but you know like there, there's some interesting stuff in it i always like sam raimi um but like it just plot wise you know there's not a whole lot going on and i just feel like they don't really know what to do <coughs> with cumberbatch's doctor strange and uh yeah i think that'll be our last word on that um thanks again everybody for listening to the pony express uh you can find out more about the podcast and everything about the postwriter by going to the postwriter.com you can find things we've written other podcasts we recorded please subscribe to this one and listen to it everywhere you can find podcasts i'm mike levito you can follow me on twitter at mlevito and find me on letterbox at ameramike I'm Lars Emerson. You can find me on Letterboxd at Lars Emerson and find The Postwriter on Twitter at The Postwriter. Hi, I'm Lewis Ryan. You can find me on Letterboxd and I'm at the Lewis Ryan on Twitter. And this is Alex and Runner. And uh, you, you can find me at Everything's a Racket on Instagram and Letterboxd coming soon. <laughs> and youtube channel coming soon oh. so look out for that you can also find lewis's name in the credits of the new season of mystery science theater 3000 cut this out cut it <laughs> <laughs> all right uh thanks for listening everybody and uh we'll see you next time on the pony express <laughs>